change. So today we're going to talk about Hedda Hopper. Hedda Hopper was this gossip journalist and her reach was amazing. People were terrified of her and they would do just about anything to not be put in one of her gossip columns. She was kind of like the Perez Hilton of today or the National Enquirer, right? Like, I'll do anything, just don't put me in your paper or say something nice about me. So her reach was amazing. So why is she so amazing? I don't know. We're going to go over this together and we'll see what we find out. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. And then we can decide together how, how we feel about her how she's changed journalism in our time. Hedda Hopper was born Elda Fury, May 2nd, 1885, and she passed away on February 1st, 1966. She was an American gossip columnist and actress. At the height of her influence in the 1940s, her readership was 35 million. She was a strong supporter of the House Un-American Activities Committee where Hopper named suspected communists and was a major proponent of the Hollywood blacklist. Hopper continued to write gossip until the end of her life. Her work has appeared in many magazines and later on radio. She had this huge feud with another gossip columnist, her arch rival, Luella Parsons. So. Hopper was born in Hollisdayburg, Pennsylvania, the daughter of Margaret Miller and David Fury. Her father was a butcher. She talks about her father being a butcher and she found his work unpleasant. She really wanted to get away from that life. So she, um, running away from home um, to be an actor in New York City. And she began her career as a, as a chorus girl on Broadway. However, she wasn't good at it. Although she was very beautiful, she didn't think she was beautiful and her dancing skills were subpar. The Schubert brothers axed her. Florence Ziegfeld called the aspiring starlet a clumsy cow and brushed off her pleas for a slot in his lavish follies. After a few years, though, she joined the theater company of matinee idol DeWolf Hopper, whom she called Wolfie, and she later married. So she remained in the chorus, and they had toured the country. While the Hopper company, she realized that chorus and understudy jobs were not acting but she really wanted to act and she knew she would have to prove herself before she could hope to get anywhere in the theater. Hearing that Edgar Selwyn was casting his play, The Country Boy, for a road tour, she went to his office and talked to him and talked him into letting her audition for the lead. She was given the role 
and that show toured for 35 weeks through 48 states and she studied singing during the summer in the fall she toured with the quaker girl in the second lead the prima donna role the show closed in albany so in 1913 she became the fifth wife of dewolf hopper whose previous wives were named ella ida edna and nella the similarity in all of their names definitely caused friction as he would sometimes call elda by the name of one of his former wives Consequently, Elda Hopper paid a numerologist $10 to tell her what name she should use, and the answer was Hedda. So, she began acting in silent movies in 1915. Her motion picture debut was in The, the Battle of Hearts in 1916 with w William Barnum, but she made a major splash in Virtuous Wives in 1918, in which she established her pattern of playing society women. So Hedda decides that she's going to go and upstage the film's headline starlet, Anita Stewart, by spending all of her $5,000 salary on a lavish wardrobe from an upscale boutique, Lucille, which she wore in the film. By 1920, she was commanding $1,000 per week as a free agent in New York. And in 1923, she moved to Hollywood and became the contract player for Louis B. Mayer Pictures. She appeared in more than 120 movies over her 23-year acting career. So as Hopper's movie career waned in the mid-1930s, she looked for other sources of income. And in 1935, she agreed to write a weekly Hollywood gossip column for the Washington Herald at $50 a week, equivalent to about $944 in 2020, which was canceled after four months when she refused to take a $15 pay cut. In 1937, Hopper was offered another gossip column opportunity, this time with the Los Angeles Times and her column entitled, Hedda Hopper's Hollywood debuted on February 14th, 1938. Now Hopper could not spell, nor could she type very well. So she dictated her column to a typist over the phone. And Hopper used her extensive contracts to forge during her acting days to gather material for her column. Her first major scoop had national implications. In 1939, Hopper printed that President Franklin Roosevelt's son, James Roosevelt, was divorcing his wife, Betsy, after being caught in an affair with a nurse at the Mayo Clinic. Part of Hopper's public image was her fondness for wearing extravagant hats, for which the Internal Revenue Service gave her a $5,000 annual tax credit as a work expense. Think about that, $5,000 in the 1930s depression. She's getting a $5,000 tax cut on hats. During the Second World War, the Nazis used photographs of Hopper in her extravagant hats for propaganda as a symbol of American decadence. Her annual income was $250,000, enabling her to live in an upscale lifestyle and maintaining a mansion in Beverly Hills, which she described as the house that fear built. And truly, Fear built this house. Actors, socialites, anyone in the public eye were terrified of Hedda Hopper 
and they would go to great lengths to make sure that she did not talk about them. After Hopper printed a story about an extramarital affair between Joseph Cotton and Deanna Durbin, Cotton ran into Hopper at a social event and pulled out her chair, only to continue pulling it out from under her when she sat down. The next day, he received dozens of flowers, bouquet deliveries, congratulatory telegrams from others in the industry, thanking him for having the courage to do what everyone else had dreamed of. Hopper spread rumors that Michael Wilding and Stuart Granger hadn't had a sexual relationship. Wilder later sued Hopper for libel, and he won. Hopper was an advocate for actress Joan Crawford, whose career suffered in the early 1940s after she was labeled box office poison and forced to resign from Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer. In 1945, Hopper reprinted a press release for Mildred Pierce in her column, which described Crawford as a leading contender for the Best Actress Oscar. Such was Hopper's influence that she was credited with swinging the, si the decision in Crawford's favor when she won the award. Hopper's support has been described as the first instance of lobbying the, Amer the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts, and Sciences, Sciences to favor a certain nominee. Actress, actress Jaju Pitts compared Hopper to a ferret. Joan Bennett sent Hopper a $435 valentine. The $35 went for a skunk, which carried a note. Won't you be my valentine? Nobody else will. I stink, and so do you. Hopper reportedly commented that the skunk was beautifully behaved, and she called it Joan, and passed it on to actor James Mason and his wife as a present as they made the first bid after the story about the unusual gift made in the news. During World War II, Hopper's only child, actor William Bill Hopper, served in the Navy in underwater demolitions. She chastised, she chastised Douglas Fairbanks Jr., the son of her old friend Douglas Fairbank, Fairbanks, because she thought the younger Fairbanks was shirking his duty to the country. Fairbanks Jr. recalled his memoirs, Salad Days, that he was already in uniform and serving in the United, United States Navy and despised Hopper for her insin insinuations. Uh, Kirk Douglas recounted an interaction between Hopper and Elizabeth Taylor at the premiere of Taylor and Husband, Richard Burton's film The Sandpiper in 1965. Hopper began to complain when she saw screenwriter Dalton Trumbo's screen edit. She had led the charge in blacklisting Trumbo for his Communist Party membership. This led Taylor to turn around and say, Hedda, why don't you just go shut that up? In 1958, Hopper made racist remarks to African-American Af actor Sidney Poitier. While interviewing him, she asked if he could sing because so many of your people do. When he replied that he could not, she said, You're the first one I've ever met who says he can't sing. I've never known any of your people who couldn't sing. In 1963, Hopper complained in her column that three out of five Best Actor Oscar nominations nominees were British and only two were American. The weather's so foul in that tight little aisle. To get in out of the rain, they all gather in theaters and practice Hamlet on each other. So I'm going to take a break for a second and explain something. So when we, when I've seen Hedda Hopper in anything where she is 
Joan and Betty, or Betty and Joan, the feud. Hedda Hopper is portrayed in the movie, or the miniseries, and Hedda Hopper is this spicy, kind of hilarious woman, and you, you kind of root for her. Also, I've read, or I've listened to on Audible, there's two biographies. One is called Hedda Hopper, The Truth and Nothing But, and Hedda Hopper, From Under My Hat. Hedda Hopper's seems hilarious and kind of just underhanded, but kind of like, I guess what I'm trying to say is Hedda Hopper is very eccentric and because of this, you kind of root for her in a weird way. However, it's not that funny, actually. So Hedda had a feud with Luella Parsons. And when Hopper had initially came to Hollywood, she and Luella Parsons had a mutually beneficial arrangement. Hopper was then a moderately successful actress, and according to Parsons' successor, Dor Dorothy Manners, if anything happened on a set, if a star and a leading man were having an affair, Hedda would give Luella a call. In return, Hedda was guaranteed a few lines of copy under Luella's increasingly influential byline. After MGM canceled her contract, Hopper struggled to maintain her career as an actress. She was offered a position as a Hollywood columnist by Esquire Feature Syndicate due to a recommendation by Andy Hervey of MGM's publicity department. So as we've talked about before, one of the first papers to pick up Hedda Hopper's Hollywood was the Los Angeles Times, a morning paper like Luella's Examiner. Hopper first publicly scooped, scooped Parsons with the divorce of the president's son, Jimmy Roosevelt, a Goldwyn employee, who was involved with a Mayo Clinic nurse from his wife, Betsy. The story became front page news across the country. When ru rumors began to surface that Orson Welles' debut film, Citizen Kane, was inspired by Hearst's life, Parsons lunched with the director and believed his evasions and denials. Hopper arrived uninvited to an early screening of the film and wrote scathing critiques, calling it vicious and irresponsible attack on a great man. As a result, Hearst sent Parsons a letter complaining that he had learned about Citizen Kane from Hopper and not her. On a warpath, Parsons then demanded a private screening of the film and threatened RKO chief George Schaefer on Hearst's behalf, first with a lawsuit, and then with a, with a vague but powerful threat of consequences for everyone in Hollywood. On January 10th, Parsons and two lawyers working for Hearst were given a private screening of the film. Horrified by what she saw, Luella rushed out of the studio screening room to cable Hearst, who telegraphed back the terse message. Stop, Citizen Kane. Soon after, Parsons called Schaefer and threatened RKO with a lawsuit if they released Kane. She also warned other studio heads that she would expose the private lives of people throughout the industry and reveal long-suppressed scandalous information. When Schaefer who had also been threatened by Hearst with legal action, announced that Citizen Kane was scheduled to premiere in February 1941 at Radio City Music Hall. 
Parsons contacted the manager of Radio City Music Hall and advised him that exhibiting the film would result in a press blackout. The premiere was canceled. Other exhibitors were fearful of being sued by Hearst and refused to show the film. As a result, despite support from Hearst adversaries as Henry Luce, on release overall the film lost money. Parsons was by no means alone in her campaign against Citizen Kane, but Wells never quite recovered his position in Hollywood afterwards. In the early 1950s, the Los Angeles Examiner ran on its front page above Parsons' byline, Ingrid Bergman's baby due in three months at Rome. Bergman had left her husband, neurologist Peter Lindstrom, to live in Italy with director Roberto Rossellini, but the news that she might be pregnant was met with some skepticism. Bergman was well known for the angelic role of Sister Benedict in The Bells of St. Mary's. Popper, who had been a public supporter of Bergman, had believed the actress's denial of the pregnancy and printed a fervent repudiation of the rumor. However, Bergman was indeed pregnant and Hopper, enraged at being scooped, launched a PR campaign decrying Bergman for being pregnant out of wedlock and carrying a married man's child. Parsons allegedly received the tip from Howard Hughes, who was incensed at Bergman for being able to shoot a film for him as Promised. Reportedly, whereas Hopper was more inclined to see their much publicized antagonism as funny and good for business, Parsons took it personally and saw Hopper as a rival in every possible way. Hopper, Hopper also referred to Doc Martin as the goddamn clap doctor, which infuriated Parsons. It had been suggested that Hopper was set up as a colum columnist by Louis B. Mayer with the blessing of other studio chiefs to offset Luella's monopolistic power. Gossip columnist Liz Smith stated that the studios created both of them and they thought they could control both of them, but they became Frankenstein monsters escaped from the labs. Hopper and Parsons had a combined readership of 75 million in a country of 160 million people. So Hopper was a fervent, Republican during the 19, 1944 president, presidential election. For instance, she spoke before a massive rally organi organized by David O. Selznick in the Los Angeles Coliseum in support of Dewey Bricker ticket as well as Governor Earl Warren of California, who later became Dewey's running mate in 1948, and the later Chief Justice in the United States. The gathering drew 93,000 with Cecil D. B. DeMille as the master of ceremonies and Walt Disney as one of the speakers. Others in attendance included Ronald Reagan, Barbara Stanwyck, Ann Stothern, Ginger Rogers, Randolph Scott, Adolph Menu, Dick Powell, Gary Cooper, Edward Arnold, and William Bendix. Despite the good turnout at the rally, most Hollywood celebrities who took a public position sided with the Roosevelt Truman ticket. Hopper strongly supported the House Un-American Activities Committee hearings and was a great speaker at the national at the Women's Division at the 1956 Republican National Convention held in San Francisco to renominate the Eisenhower-Nixon ticket. She was so well known for her conservatism that rumor had it she planned to stand up and unfurl an American flag and walk out of the 23rd Academy Award ceremony in March 1951. 
if Jose Ferrer, who was known to be a socialist, should win Best Actor. The rumor was untrue, but Hopper joked that she wished she had thought of it. Screenwriter Jay Bernstein related that when he told Hopper that many people in Hollywood privately called her a Nazi because of her extreme conservatism, the gossip columnist began to cry and replied, Jay, all I've ever tried to be is a good American. So Hopper was one of the driving forces behind the creation of the Hollywood Blacklist, using her 35 million strong readership to destroy the careers of those in the entertainment industry, whom she, sus she suspected of being a communist, having a communist sympathies or being homosexual or leading dissolute lies. She was a leading member of the Motion Picture Alliance for the Preservation of American Ideals, founded in 1944, and she devote and devoted to rooting out suspected communists in Hollywood. She considered herself to be a guardian of moral standards in Hollywood and bragged that she need only wag her finger at a producer and he would break off an adulterous affair instantly. One of Hopper's most famous victims was screenwriter Dalton Trumbo who was blacklisted through the late 1940s and 50s, partially through Hopper's consistently negative coverage of his Communist Party membership. When actor Kirk Douglas hired Trumbo to write the screenplay for Spartacus in 1960, Hopper denounced the film in her column, stating that the script is based on a book written by commie and the screen script was written by a commie, so don't, don't go see it. The film was a, was a critical and financial success. Charlie Chaplin was another target of Hedhopper's vitriol because of his alleged communist sympathies and his relationship with much younger women, which she considered immoral, despite her own marriage to a man 27 years older than her. She also objected to him for remaining a British citizen and not becoming an American which she considered an act of ingratitude towards a country which had given him so much when in 1943, he denied that he was the father of 22-year-old actress Joan Barry's child, Hopper assisted Barry in filing a paternity suit against Chaplin, launching a campaign of attrition against him through her column and calling for him to be deported for his moral turpitude. She defended her behavior by stating that she wished to make an example of Chaplin as a warning to others involved in dubious relationships. Her grudge deepened when later in the year, Chaplin married 18-year-old Una O'Neill and gave the scoop to, Willa, to Luella Parsons out of a dislike for Hopper. For years after the paternity trial, Hopper cooperated with the FBI to destabilize Chaplin's career. This involved her printing damaging information leaked by the FBI concerning Chaplin's past communist affiliations. While Hopper in turn provided the agency with unsavory gossip about Chaplin's personal life gleaned from her informants, her sustained criticism of Chaplin was one of the factors which contributed to him being denied re-entry into the United States in 1950. Actress Ingrid Bergren was also blacklisted as a result of Hedda Hopper's sustained negative coverage in her columns. Hopper had supported Bergman in her column through the 1940s, advocating for her to land starring roles in The Bells of St. Mary and Joan of Arc. She was enraged with married director Roberto, Roberto Rossellini's baby, 
Hopper had believed Bergman's denial of the pregnancy, printing a fervent headline of the rumor in 1949. However, Bergman was indeed pregnant, and the news was a leak to Hopper's arch-rival Luella Parsons, who gained the scoop. Seeking revenge, Hopper launched a PR campaign decrying Bergman for being pregnant out of wedlock and carrying a married man's child. So, what do you guys think? Who is Hedda Hopper? So, when I was listening to her autobiographies, I get this, like, this eccentric woman who's grinding and trying to make it in this business and doing everything she can. Some of her antics were hilarious. And nothing was too inappropriate. So you get this, like, um, cutesy kind of feeling about her. That's one side, and that's her side, right? So when we open it up and we see the other side, like, these are actually people that she's actually harming. It makes you see things in a little, in a different light. So yeah, this is how it is. There's two sides to every story, right? There's one side, and then there's the other side. Hedda Hopper, Luella Parsons, of course, they're fun characters and interesting, but they did hurt people. I mean, Charlie Chaplin never came back to America. People that were gay hid so, so much. So I guess what I'm trying to say is there are two sides to every story and Hedda Hopper's biographies make her look like this eccentric, adorable person that is just doing whatever she can to get the scoop and make the news. But there's consequences and there's a real, there were real people that she was harming to get the scoop. And I think a lot of times we forget that when we hear Hedda Hopper, any gossip journal, to be honest, there are real people that are being harmed. We're being entertained by these crazy stories of whatever they're, whatever these famous people are doing. That's entertaining to us. But to them, is that entertaining? No, that's their actual real lives are being affected. So on the one hand, I like Hedda Hopper. And on the other hand, I, I don't. And so I have really mixed feelings about her. So I hope you all learned a lot and I will see you all again soon.